0: So we're in Hebrews chapter 13, and we're going to read verses 1 through 19 together, and then we're going to uh, look very closely at verses 7 through 9. 7 through 9. So let's, let's dive right in to reading God's Word together. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 19. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in high honor among all, and let marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with whatever you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. For what can man do to me? Remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat, for the bodies of those animals, whose blood is brought to the holy places by the high priest as sacrifice for sin, are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, through him, then, let us continually offer up sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account Let them do this with joy and not groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you all the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you sooner. May God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. We've come to this passage in Hebrews, having, having gone through and I want to remind you, the reason you are able to do the things in the, the exhortations in Hebrews 12 through 13, the reason you are able to accomplish them is because Jesus has already done the work. You have a better system, a better sacrifice, a better king than uh, everything else. You have a better high priest, you have a better messenger, you have a better gospel, you have a better... Kingdom, you have a better, uh, you have a better law than Moses. You have Jesus, and Jesus is better than all things. Therefore, because you have the best, you have the best in Jesus Christ. You are able to obey. You are able to follow Christ because He has done it. And in the context of following Christ, we do this in groups and. And you have been, the author of Hebrews has already outlined that you are not in a single, uh, individual, lone wolf style Christianity. You're not. You're, You're a part of a congregation. When you become a Christian, you join the universal church, and it is assumed in Scripture that you would be part of a local church, a smaller body. So, as we approach this text, we need to remember that this is the context in which he's giving these exhortations, is a communal context. It's a context where we are living in community with each other. And and that being said, having given us these instructions at first, letting brotherly love continue, not neglecting hospitality, remembering those who are in prison. Those those exhortations there that we covered last week, we we come to this next phrase here in verse 7. Where he gives us a couple more instructions. And those instructions are remember, consider, and imitate. Remember, consider and imitate. You are to remember your leaders first. So it's wise to think about what and who you follow. It's wise to be careful about what you what you put before you or or who. You put before you. There's a lot of talk today in the world about um, how we put uh, or what kind of music you're supposed to sing at church. Who who are you supposed to sing and, and or what kind of pastors are you supposed to be listening to outside of your church gathering? Should they only be Reformed Baptist pastors from the 18, and 1800s? Um, maybe, maybe. But for the most part, we are engaging a a myriad of teachers all the time. As as a Christian in the digital world where we have a barrage of, of, of information coming at us at all times, we have multiple avenues by which we can get information. And the author of Hebrews is cautioning you, saying, remember your leaders. Think about them. Think about your leaders and remember them. And when it it talks about them, this is one of the reasons, this passage is one of the reasons that we are careful at Sovereign Grace about the type of music we select to sing. Because we recognize music speaks on a volume and with a with a power that mere words cannot. I'm, I'm a poetry nerd. I love poetry. I write poetry. I I I love art, and I, I'm a huge proponent of art in the Christian life. And yet I recognize that there are poets that you should probably not read for the purpose of knowing God. I wouldn't say Shakespeare is one that. You should read for theology. Um, it might be great for the mind, but you, you shouldn't read it for theology it might be good exercise um, but I wouldn't read most most of you are going I wouldn't read Shakespeare anyway um, but we we have this this hesitancy and it's a good hesitancy about what kind of music we put into ourselves. This is why we're careful about The kind of books we recommend and and the kind of books we put on our back table at church. We've got got a book table that says take it and read it. And it's just there for you to take the books, read them. If you like them, you can keep them, you can market them, whatever. If you want to give them to somebody else, you can. We ask that if you're not going to do anything with them, that you bring them back and put them back on the table so somebody else can read them. But we have these great books in the back for you to read. um, And we carefully select those. This passage is why we are careful about to know and, and examine the lives of the people that we admire. I seldom tell you about leaders that I admire, um, or people that I, I think are saying something powerful. There are very few that I say from the pulpit, and, and as most of you know, the, the ones that I do say, I say a lot. There are very few that I recommend so brazenly, without caveat. So we are are careful about these things. We're careful about the type of music that we listen to, about the, the type of books we recommend, about the type of lives of leaders that we advise you to study under. We are careful about that, and we are careful about that because of this passage. So here it says, remember... Your leaders. And before we go further, we want to see what a leader is. What is a leader? First, in remembering your leaders, the way to remember your leaders is always to do so with a hermeneutic of grace. Remember your leaders the way that you that Jesus would think about you. In other words, We want to remember our leaders with charity and grace, recognizing that they are people. Consider the fact that Jesus put a bunch of rough-cut fishermen in charge. Your leaders are not always going to be perfect. Whatever church you're in, if you're Sovereign Grace, you know we're not perfect. But if you're from another church, listen, your leaders are not perfect. Jesus put a bunch of foul-mouthed, rough fishermen in charge of the church which ought to give us pause when we start thinking critically about our leaders. I mean, what would you have thought about Peter? Oh, good grief. What would you have thought about John? You know, the Apostle John is recorded as saying two things in Scripture, and the most prominent one is when he runs up with his brother, the son, the James, and he says to Jesus, Now are you going to call fire down from heaven and destroy the Samaritans? When they're cresting a hill. The Samaritans haven't done anything. They're cresting a hill and John looks at Jesus and goes, Let's kill him now! And Jesus just goes, Are you kidding? Have you learned nothing? Oh, good grief, John. I, I am God. So we want to approach our leaders and remember our leaders with a hermeneutic of grace. Remembering that Jesus put a bunch of Uh, crass, rough fishermen in charge, and the Pharisees and holy people who we would have put in charge of the church were not in charge. So we need to evaluate our leaders and think about our leaders with a hermeneutic of grace that sees past their flaws and recognizes potential, but not their potential, the potential of what God can do in and through them which is amazing. So first, remember your leaders. And what is a leader here? It says, remember your leaders, and then it gives you what the leader is. Those who spoke to you the word of God. First, the word leader here, used in the Greek here, is one who goes in front. This is somebody who's walking in front. Um, I, I think it's funny when we talk about leadership. There's all kinds of books about leadership. John Maxwell writes a couple million books on leadership a day, and The big cry back in the early 2000s was that leadership was influence. And if you uh, were a leader, you had influence over those around you and could lead them. And I remember reading that and thinking, wow, Jesus in John chapter 6 is an awful leader. Because he speaks to everybody and then they all leave. He has no influence in John chapter 6. His influence doesn't come until he dies. Another leader that's similar is Jonathan, and his war against the Philistines, he is embattled, and you remember the story, the Philistines are in the north, and his army is encamped on the, if you, if you can visualize a map, his army is encamped down and to the west, uh, I mean to the east on the map, and there's a big mountain range that divides his army, and the camp of uh, the Philistines, and Jonathan looks at a shield bearer, and the people of Israel aren't. Going and Jonathan charges into battle, and the shield bearer shot, goes, Oh no, and runs behind him. And and they win, they fight, and they win. And then you've got Joab standing another time as a leader who knows that there's certain doom he is going, he's probably going to lose. And he looks at his uh, lieutenant and says, Let us play the man for our city and for our God. And these are men who run out in front. They aren't concerned with their influence. They aren't concerned with the people standing around them. They are leading by going in front. So that's who he's talking about, your leaders. Consider your leaders, consider the ones who are running in front of you, who you are following, consider them. And he says, those those leaders who spoke to you the word of God, these are leaders who would lead you in the work. And the word here for speak is the word reason with you. They are the ones who will reason with you in the word of God. They will help you walk through the word of God. Now, if you want to see what biblical qualities are for a leader in the church in the New Testament, go look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. You will see qualifications for elders and qualifications for deacons. And you'll see that these qualifications must be met. Now, these are character qualities. Not job assignments. They're character qualities, not job assignments. And you can read through those at your leisure. Make a little note right now that you're going to go do that. And it's a fun thing to do, to go read those things. The first question you should do, though, when you read those things, is do I measure up to these things? Do I measure up to these things? And then when you're evaluating a leader hold those things up and go, does does this leader live up to these things? Does this leader do these things? Is he, this kind of person, does he have these character qualities? And do so with grace, remembering your own standard, yourself, having taken the speck out of your own eye, the log out of your own eye, then help your brother to walk. So, some other things to consider about leaders are some of what they what the Bible says about them are that leaders or elders, pastors, teachers, those who teach you the word of God are to be worthy of double honor. This is in First uh, Timothy chapter five, verses seventeen through uh, really all the way through twenty two. It talks about how to treat. Elders or pastors or leaders. So if you have a pastor, listen, that pastor is worthy of double honor. Meaning that you ought to give him a little bit of uh, respect. Just a little bit of respect. Now, that, that honor is earned. It's not something that you just hand over. It's earned because he has been a good elder, according to uh, 1 Peter, that he has served well and he has taught well and he has walked with you and you know him. It's a shame when you have a pastor that you don't know, that the only thing you know about him is he stands on a stage once a week and gives a pretty good sermon. That guy, that pastor, is not a, is not a pastor. A pastor who you don't talk to and you don't know and you don't connect with, that's, that's not an elder. He's not leading you. He's a teacher on a screen or a teacher on a stage. He's a personality. You need to know your pastor. Otherwise, you can't give them double honor. You can't give them respect that they deserve. So you need to, to know them. This, these, these leaders are people who teach well, are worthy of double honor. And then he goes on and he says flat out in First Timothy chapter 5. This isn't me. This is the Bible talking. In First Timothy chapter 5, he says flat out pay them. Pay your leaders. Pay those who teach you. The Word of God. You ought to pay them. Now, Sovereign Grace, I want to commend you that you have always taken care of my family's needs. You have always provided abundantly uh, out of your own, out of poverty. Some, Some people have provided out of poverty for us to take care of any needs that we have. And likewise, we have extended the same to you because we are a community of faith that lifts each other up. And it is a privilege to be a part of this body. So I just want to say that out from the outset. I am so grateful for you and for your gifts and generosity to our family. And I, I, I don't take it lightly. And I, I hope to earn double honor by being a godly leader. And I know my fellow elders would say the same. That we hope to earn your honor and respect by leading well and with grace at our hands constantly. Constantly loving well, and being with you. We hope to earn it. So another thing about elders is you are not to accept a charge against an elder without some certainty. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, it talks about how you need to have two witnesses when you bring a charge against an elder. In other words, there needs to be agreement from two different parties as to the accusation made against an elder. Now, um... I've never been in a situation where we've had to go that far, where we've had to make an accusation against an elder. Um, I've never been in that situation because the men I serve with now, these these brothers I serve with now, if you came to them and said, I have some trouble with something you've done, they would fall backward to apologize and tell you how how horrible, they feel about it and how they would make amends immediately all of us would just be broken if we felt like we had uh, done something sinful to somebody or something sinful in some way we are together pursuing pursuing humility and holiness together as leaders and and so we when we are when we have been confronted with sin it is immediately i am so sorry repenting from sin going before the lord and asking Forgiveness, and, and this is the way you want your leaders to respond. So, since I have this opportunity and we're uh, on this worldwide thing here, um, if you have a concern about an elder in your church or a leader in your church and you feel the need to address that concern, uh, you need to be sure of a couple things. One, you need to make sure that you have biblical grounds for addressing the, the issue. You need to have biblical grounds for addressing the issue, which means you are coming to them with scripture and saying, this is what it is. This is where I'm struggling. Two, you need to admit that this struggle is your struggle and their struggle. That it's not just them, but that you are struggling in some way towards them because of whatever the issue is. And then third, you need to go to them in grace, set, extending to them the benefit of the doubt that they probably are totally unaware of whatever the issue is. Um, I, I speak with pastors on a weekly basis. By phone, I pray with them and I deal with them constantly. And I would, I would encourage you, the majority of pastors that I talk with would love To have brothers who would come to them and say, I see this in your life, I see this thing going on that is wrong, and how can I help you overcome it? You see, when you bring an accusation to somebody, you are not just bringing a condemnation, but you are bringing to them a call to repent and a willingness to walk with them through it. It's one of the things I love about my church. If somebody sees a weakness in me, or a sin in me, or a sinful disposition in me, and they come to me, I know that what they are saying is, I see this in you, I see that you're dealing with this, how can I, and the follow-up question is, how can I help you move forward? How can I help you overcome? Oh, how beautiful it is. When the body of Christ considers their leaders this way and remembers their leaders this way and the, the idea is not that you're bringing an accusation to destroy the leader but you are bringing a call to repent with a sure encouragement that you are going to help them walk. Oh, we have seen the failure of congregations to do this and the failure of our leaders for years. It's time for it to stop in the Christian church. So another quick note about elders is you are not to appoint them too quickly. Young elders need to wait. There are godly men who are in their 20s that know more of the Word than I could imagine. There are godly men who are in their 20s who who have deep wells of wisdom and knowledge. It does not hurt a godly man to wait to appoint them to leadership. To wait for a time. It does not hurt to go slow. Do not listen to this day and age that says you have to put somebody in that place immediately. You know what's going to happen if you don't have a Sunday school teacher teaching that Sunday school class? the people who go to that Sunday school class are probably going to go to another one. You'll be okay. You know what's going to happen if you don't have a a leader to lead that small group? Nothing. The majority of the time, the small group will meet without them. It'll be okay. Don't listen to to the world that says you need to put people in place immediately. If you're a pastor and you hear me say this, you hear this, somehow, or if you're connected to leadership at your own church, listen, don't throw people into leadership in order to keep them. Don't do that. Don't throw people into leadership in order to keep a program. Let the program die. Watch the person. See if they grow into a godly person. See See if that zeal that they have maintains over time. See. Watch. Be wise. And yes, yes, I know that that means that your church will lose some excellent, dynamic leaders. But your church will be stronger having godly people who have stood the test of time in waiting. I will tell you that I have walked with the brothers in the leadership at SGF. And I know them. And I have seen them. And they have seen me. I mean, really seen. We know who we are. And I would tell you, they are worthy men. So what do leaders do in the church? What do leaders do? Now, um, we're remembering our leaders. We haven't even gone past the first phrase, remember your leaders. We're remembering our leaders here. And we want to see that leaders, one, they shepherd well out of love, Willingly out of love and not for sordid gain and not domineering over the flock. They serve humbly. So shepherds, leaders teach well and they shepherd well out of love willingly for the flock and not out of some obligation and not out of sordid gain, not out of a desire to gain power and not domineering. Uh, This is in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. They serve humbly before the Lord, and they serve humbly the congregation. Second, they pray for the sick, uh, both spiritually sick and physically sick. This is perfect for you to know, at this point, in this day and age, with a virus attacking our world, your elders are on their knees praying that people would be saved. They pray for the sick, they pray for healing. They pray for God's movement. They pray for the glory of God to be manifest in the world. They pray. So what do, shepherds, what do elders do? What do leaders do? They shepherd well, or they, they love people well and willingly. They serve humbly. They pray for the sick, and they teach and defend doctrine. Leaders in particular teach and defend truth. And doctrine. They will stand for what is good and what is right and what is holy, and they will defend it. So if you are remembering a leader, this is who you're remembering. You're remembering a person who shepherds well, who teaches the Bible, who spoke to you the word of God, who serves humbly, who prays for the sick, who defends and teaches doctrine. You're remembering that one. The, The early church was all too familiar with leaders who would drift away. We're all too familiar with it. It happened all the time. What we see in America with pastors who fail their congregation and congregations who fail their pastors and wickedness in the church, this isn't new. This started in the first century. The devil has not changed his tactics. He's still doing the same thing. The early church knew this would happen. Paul warned the Ephesians about it in Acts. He warned that wolves would rise up among them. Timothy was warned that people would seek teachers who would scratch their ears, teachers who would make them feel good. Jesus warned about false prophets and the false leaven of legalistic teaching of the Pharisees. The Apostle John warned about Antichrist. James warned about people who would show favor to them, and on and on it goes. They, they all warned about it. They all knew this would happen. Everyone knew that there would be a heretic that would show up who would lead people astray. Everyone knew Everyone knew there would be the charismatic leader who would be extremely powerful, and, and everybody would fall, and fall in line behind him, and then be led to ruin. They knew. This, this doesn't catch God off guard. Failure of leadership does not catch God off guard. Indeed, he knew. He knows it's coming. He sees it. He warns you about it in the Scripture. Paul was ready for it and saw it coming. He knew what was going to happen. So, with that in mind, we see what is a leader, and we remember our leaders, we think about our leaders. The next phrase here is, consider. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Of life, So we are to consider the outcome, the fruit of their way of life. This is not just the end, but the way. We're to consider the outcome of the steps that they took to get there, to get to that way of life. So I just want you for a moment to think about the books you read, the music you listen to, the teachers you submit yourself to. I'm not a fool to think that I'm the only teacher that most of you listen to. That's not the case. I I know that. I know that there are preachers and pastors who are uh, famous that you listen to on a weekly, sometimes daily basis. I can tell you that I personally listen to one in particular every day, who I'll gladly tell you when I'm not on Facebook Live. But I, I can tell you that That you need to consider the outcome of their way of life. Think about where they are as a person, the amount of grace and joy and happiness that they have. Is that what you want? Is knowing Jesus the way they do what you want? Now, uh, I'm going to tell you about two leaders that I once knew. One leader was this man with, uh, he, he had doctoral degrees, and he was a writer, and he was on his way to being famous, and he was this great and powerful force for the kingdom of God, or so I thought, and he was this incredible man, just and he could articulate a passage, he could open the Bible, and he could read it in such a way that it would just blow your mind. He always had a question at the beginning of, of his messages that just made you go, wow, that was brilliant. You, you were blown away all the time. And, and, and I remembered following that leader until I started to realize how unhappy he was and how little he actually knew Jesus and the power of Jesus Christ. In contrast that with a man who had little to no education, no prominent power, no no academic authority, no books are ever going to be written about this man. No one's ever going to know his name. Yet he preached the Word of God faithfully for years to small groups of people and I looked at his life, and I compared the life of this man who was working himself to the bone and had little to no real grasp of Jesus, but had prominence and prestige and and was on his way to being famous. Compared him to this podunk middle of nowhere, nothing preacher. When you talk to him, you felt like you were in the presence of Jesus. You know those people who you, who you see and you meet and you talk to and you're like, oh no, they can see my soul. Those people, the ones who are just, uh, you sit down across from and you feel like they know what you did and you, <laughs> you're, you're paranoid and a little scared because you're afraid they're going to, they're going to come out and be like, you know, when you sat down and you did that thing, the Lord told me about it. Like You know those people, the ones who you, you look in their eyes and you, you're a little, you've you got some trepidation about whether or not they, you know, they have some revelation from the Holy Spirit that they're going to address you with? That's how this man was. He's the type of man that you could, you could sit across from and, and you felt like he looked right through your eyes, into your soul, and was just messing around down there while he asked you questions simple man who loved Jesus. Always had a smile. Always had a smile. And you know what? No one's going to write a book about him. Consider the outcome of his way of life. But don't just consider material things. Consider the outcome. Consider, is he he closer to Jesus? Is he where you want to be with the Lord? Is that where he is? Consider the outcome of his way of life. Think about their limps. Think about their limps. You know what I mean? Think about why they're broken. What broke them and why? Uh, There's an old saying, never trust a leader without a limp. So, I I often have a physical limp because of a disease, right? But the the idea is metaphorical here. Um, A leader who has been through some pain, a leader who has been through some pain will instruct you a little better. His outcome of life might be better. His outcome of his way of life might be better for you. Think about their limps. Why do they have it and what got them to it? Life experience is valuable. This is why young elders need to be tested and given time. Life experience is valuable and important. Knowledge is great. It shows effort for growth. There are young men who are filled with knowledge. Some great young men who are filled with zeal and knowledge. And they're wonderful to be around and they're exciting to be around. I would not put them in charge. Because they don't have a limp. Because they haven't been broken yet. Be patient. God wrestles with Jacob a long time into that story. It takes a long time for God to break him. Moses is 80 when he goes back to Egypt. 80 years old. Paul puts Timothy in charge but he surrounds him with leaders. Titus is given the commission, appoint elders, Titus. Find men, godly men, to surround you. You need life experience and knowledge so that you can see the faithfulness of somebody's walk. Consider the outcome of their way of life. What is their limp why do they have a lymph, and what is it, and where did it come from? Just a warning. Good, godly leaders are not always MDiv and PhDs. The greatest leaders in the history of the church were fishermen with no education. Let me say that again for those in the back. Good, godly leaders are not always men who have MDivs and PhDs. The greatest leaders in church history were fishermen with no education. So consider your leaders. Once you have remembered your leaders, and once you have considered your leaders, the next step that, that the author of Hebrews gives you is to imitate their faith. So, once you have considered the leaders, once you've considered their way of life, imitate their faith. Begin to follow in their faith. Paul says to the Corinthian church, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Do the same things I do. Leaders, remember, are those who are running in front, proclaiming to you the Word of God. So, they're running in front, proclaiming to you the word of God, you are going to imitate their walk. You're going to do what they do. So, if you're charged up about wanting to know more about how to be a leader or how to uh, follow God more faithfully or to know Him more deeply, go to the leader you respect and say, listen, what is your daily regimen? What is your regimen of what you do? How do you pursue Jesus? And really study what they do and then, copy it I can tell you (laughs) that it is much easier than you think most of us are not superhero Christians most of your leaders are normal guys who do normal things who watch normal TV shows who have normal amounts of fun and who drink sodas and enjoy life we don't levitate, we don't meditate and float into the air we're normal We make mistakes, we yell at our kids when we're angry, we get angry and we say sorry to people, we apologize when we're wrong, and we're wrong often. So find a leader, ask him, listen, I want to grow in the Lord, what do you do? What do you do to keep your faith going, to keep it ignited? I guarantee that you will not be impressed by what they do. I guarantee it. Leaders are consistent. Imitate their faith. So, the basis for considering your leaders is right here. Chapter 13, verse 8. This is one of the most beautiful pictures in all of Scripture. This concept of Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday, and today, and forever. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Listen, leaders change and fail and fall, and they grow. If they're godly leaders, they grow into more Christ-likeness as they get older. But they fail, they struggle, they sin. Leaders are people. Jesus, on the other hand, The leader that we follow. The life that we imitate. The God who we know is for us. This God, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. Oh, thank God He doesn't change. He doesn't change in His affections for you. He doesn't change in His love for His church. He doesn't change in His and is operating towards you, if you have experienced the grace of Jesus Christ, that grace is for you yesterday, today, and forever. It stays the same. Don't you see that He doesn't change? And that's why your leaders can stand. Because Jesus Christ is leading them. And He does not change. He is the same. He's consistent. They will They will fall, they will falter, but the God they serve will never change. This is why we hinge our music on worshiping Jesus and his character and his nature. This is why we can say with confidence that that he loves because he doesn't change. We can say with confidence that he is just because he doesn't change. We can say with confidence that he will do it because he doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is bound to us. He is outside of any controls or constraints of time and change and altering. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Put that on a shirt, on your mirror, on your wall. Remind yourself that though the world changes and falls apart, and though everything else in the world is broken, and though everyone dies and there is constant change on this earth. The new viruses are popping up left and right and dying off. And though people are struggling in every single way, Jesus is the same. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will never change. Grab hold of that, Christian. Grab hold of it and hold tight. Do not verse 9 do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace not by foods which have been which have not benefited those devoted to them so we're going to cover the second half of that verse next week but I wanted to jump right here at this first part because it deals with leaders do not be led away by by diverse and strange teachings so there's a couple things to grab hold up here one, Truth is always greater than that which is new or exciting. Strange and diverse things are new and exciting, but Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Strange and diverse teachings are new and exciting, but Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. He is the same. Truth always trumps ta Faithfulness always trumps the new. Jesus remains faithful yesterday, today, and forever. Say again, yesterday, today, and forever. This teaching does not change. He is God, and He is holy all the time. Always holy. For it is good to be strengthened. We Follow hard after the Lord. And the author of Hebrews here urges you, as you are pursuing the Lord and you see leaders who imitate the Lord, who look like Jesus, pause for a minute and think about their way of life. Is it someone you want to imitate? Do they look like Jesus? If the answer is yes, chase them. Ask them how they walk. Follow their lead. If they don't look like Jesus, don't sing their songs. Don't read their books. If they don't look, act, sound, follow like Jesus, don't read their books. Don't listen to their music. Don't go to their podcast. Instead, find faithful men of God who teach the Word of God with clarity and truth and follow those examples. If a leader comes with something new and strange and diverse, remind yourself that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And always evaluate leadership through the gospel lens that Jesus has never changed. That he died on the cross and rose again for crass fishermen that he put in charge. For you and for me, He knows everything about me, and yet He still loves you. Let's pray together, and then we will close by thinking about one, one song. Let's sing a song together. Lord, we are grateful for Your Word as always. We love You, And we trust you. Father, as we evaluate leaders, we pray that you would teach us to see the gospel truth that your love has never changed, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We love you. And normally in our service, we would come to a time of communion. Together, um, but today I just want you to contemplate Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the foundation on which our community is built. And though we cannot be in the same room, this is community. We are, we are engaging with the Word of God together. So we remind ourselves as we approach the throne of grace on behalf of each other, remembering the body and blood of Jesus Christ broken and poured out for us for our salvations, remembering that we recognize that he has filled us with life, and that is how we approach each other.